Uh, welcome to Origin Stories. My guest this week is Mad Mike Quidette. Mike is a professional drift car driver and arguably New Zealand's most successful personal sporting brand. I mean, obviously the All Blacks are, are an entity in themselves, but Mike has more Facebook, Facebook followers than Dan Carter, than Richie McCall, than Israel Adesanya even and in, the, in the UFC. He's sponsored by Red Bull and Mazda, and he recently opened a new store and workshop he calls Mad Lab at Hampton Downs Motorsport Park. Uh, Mike, good to see you again. How you doing? Uh, good doing yourself. Yeah, great. Thanks. Great. How has 2021 been for you so far, Mike? Oh, 2020. Well, it's, you know, been a very challenging year for most, including myself. Um, mm -hmm. Very different um, to what we usually do, you know, with so much travel involved in, my, in our race program. Um, you know, we had over 30 international events on the calendar. Um, that's not including all the, you know, my son racing and my daughter riding her ponies and then just actual family life. Um, yeah. But of those 31 events, I did one. I got to Japan in January. Um, we revealed a new car that we're going back to the defend our championship um, that we had won, uh, the Formula Drift Japan Championship, which is kind of like the pinnacle and in the drifting, being in the motherland of Japan. Um, and that was about as far as we got, man. And then it just turned into, yeah, I had to make the most of the year. And I just took it as an opportunity. While many people were over social media saying, you know, they're all now stuck at home and all gutted. And well, I just took it as a chance, one, to have the family time and bond with my kids that, you know, a lot of people look at my lifestyle and, you know, the travel and all that looks like the dream, but that is a lot of time away from the family. Um, so able to do that. Um, and then, you know, also just taking the time that people always people always say, oh, man, I just don't have the time to do certain things. And for me, and I know a lot of the other Red Bull athletes and, you know, just have that time now to be able to, you know, think about the next world record or the next event or the next, I don't know, cars for us, like car builds and stuff like that, just thinking outside the box. So um, oh, it was, oh. yeah. Very good. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, building a, a personal brand. As I, as I mentioned, you've got one of the biggest personal sporting brands in, in the country and, and you're, you're globally, globally recognized and globally famous. Um, but before we do that, before we get on to that, I just want you maybe to explain in layman's terms what drifting is all about, because I'm guessing there'll, there'll be some listeners to, to, to this podcast who, who maybe won't have come across drifting before. The drifting is like the circus of four-wheel motorsports. I take it like the most explosive, exciting, fun, crazy. You know, I have the most fear. I've driven a lot of different disciplines of motorsport, but drifting is, you know, by far my adrenaline, the fear and everything. Um, but it's a judged sport. You know, we're judged on line, speed, angle and style. Um, so being a judged sport there, it's very subjective. But the idea is to literally slide a car out of control but in control so you're you know full lock on the lock stops drifting um and executing you know what the judges will give us in the morning will be a, a certain line on a racetrack you know you'll go from doing car parks or roads in japan to being on like fuji formula one circuit where the speeds are over 230 kilometers an hour um and trying to execute you know these the line and angle in the most explosive style and i think what's so cool about drifting is that it doesn't require the biggest budget or the fastest cars to, you know, build or to be a champion. You know, it's really down to pers personality, um, the way you build the cars, the way you drive the cars, the way, you know, just it, the, the whole appearance of the team. Um, because, yeah, I definitely came into the sport with yeah, not much money at all. 
speaking of that and the appearance of the appearance of the team and the way you presented yourself and, and branded yourself, you were born in 1981, right? When was the Mad Mike brand born? So you have Mad Mike, the name was born 99, was okay. yeah, 1999. I was a freestyle motocross. Um, I'd just done the transition really from racing motocross. I grew up with my mum, only child um, and just solo mother. We lived in one bedroom units all around East Auckland. It was pretty common to be changing house every year, get a new bedroom, but we had the same bunk bed. I'd have the top, mum would have the bottom. And that was life till I was probably 12 or 13 years old. I raced motocross. My mum was super passionate with horses. Um, So every weekend we're away, um, you know, she would do the horse thing and I'd be playing with radio control cars and you know, trying to get these dirt bikes going that mum could afford that never really worked sometimes at the start. So I'd have to try and, you know, just a self-taught kid, self-taught mechanic um, and just figure things out myself. So got competitive in, in motocross, but then, um, yeah, it just got too expensive for mum. We managed to get second in the New Zealand Nationals in like 97. Um, and then, yeah, had to give it up. So freestyle motocross, the name Mad Mike came from 1999. Mike Peru was the commentator, uh, New Zealand presenter. Um, and I actually told him, dude, can you stop calling me Mad Mike? I freaking hated the name. And he's like, the first thing he said, it, he said, it's okay, because I didn't give myself that name. So I was like, okay. but And then the next weekend, we're at, you know, a dude's 30th birthday, and people were calling me Mad Mike. And then we're at Big Boys Toys, and people were calling me Mad Mike, and then Xair. I mean, yeah, it just now it has it's turned into a brand. It was you, yeah. you were stuck with it. Um, do you know where this passion, this uh, this love of motorsport came from? Like, was it was it is there anything in the family that would hint that you would go on to do this? Oh man, it's crazy. No one, no one raced motorsport. No one was you know, like really hardcore into motorsport. My uncle Clay, he moved in um, and helped mum with you know with rent um and you know so we had a we went from a one-bedroom unit to a three-bedroom um you know kind of house in east auckland and my uncle moved in and he worked at a car sales yard and so he would bring home different cars every night and i just loved to you know he'd take me for a ride in the cars and i remember going in some like mazda familiars of the turbo light that would come on and um he had a friend dean cockerton that was also um he was he was racing the formula atlantics here in new zealand um and that was one of clay's best friends so one of his uh, one of his sponsors was indoor grand prix and uh, pam ewer and i remember they actually made a cart with short pedals and everything so when i was sort of eight nine years old i could race around with dean and clay um and so i, I you know i was always developing skills myself um with four wheels of those guys um and then two wheels yeah just a solo out on the farm yeah yeah i think you called it paddock hacking rather paddock hacking tell me tell me about that what does paddock hacking involve yes i mean that's pretty kiwi kiwi as to have um yeah paddock hack cars you know we used to just be able to buy a toyota crawlers for 100 bucks out of the trade and exchange well before internet well before you know internet was around but my mum didn't have internet um we had the this paper that would come out on thursdays and we would race down to the dairy me and my buddy he would you know we'd be straight on the on the phone and this is landlines you know at the, at the <laughs> phones and uh it was like oh there's a toy to style it out west or there's a mazda 33 out south for 100 bucks and you know we'd have these yeah just paddock hack cars and we would take them and thrash them on the paddocks and gravel roads and you know, we used to cut the fences to get into Woodhall Forest, um, close the gates behind us, hurt no one except ourselves, um, and just rally hack all weekend. And we both 
moved on to make a career out of motorsport. So all the day, all those teenage days of paddock hacking and, um, you know, spending, if we had 20 bucks, we'd spend it on gas rather than, you know, a box of alcohol or cigarettes or whatever other buddies were doing on uh, over the weekend. Love it. And, and that's where you first learned to go sideways, to, to drive out of control while remaining in control, right? Yeah. So, I mean, on gravel, grass paddocks, hitting motocross jumps, you know, it was, um, it was always a blast and, you know, it was just a, a skill that, you know, I never, never, there was no sport of drifting around. There was no like, okay, you know, when I was 13, I was not, I didn't even know there was drifting was going to be a sport. You know, when I was 13, my biggest idol was Ricky Johnson. He was the Supercross champion in USA and my auntie had Sky TV and um, yeah, she would record the Supercross and then I'd watch it back on the VHS and, you know, had my all my inspiration, you know, Jeremy McGrath doing the knack knacks over the finish of it and um yeah, kind of chased that dream. So that was my, you know, my I always had that California dream, but it was mm. to get to California to be a supercross world champion. And you gave that up why? when did you give up on that dream? Just I mean, well the racing was obviously as I said before, the the money side of it. The freestyle mm. motocross lasted about three or four years. Um but just so many broken bones. Um, yeah, so many head injuries, knocked out sort of eight times, 20, 20 huge concussions, um, you know, bones sticking out my arms, my left leg, still got titanium rods and pins all through it. Uh, 2002, I compressed and fractured four vertebrae on my back, um, got told I was paralyzed for life with the swelling that pinched the nerves. Uh, fortunately, that's all it was. Um, it was some yeah, crushed vertebrae, um, crushed disc in between my vertebrae. And uh, yeah, and it was right at that point where I discovered this D1NZ uh, event. So me and Tony went along to watch, you know, the New Zealand pros, which was Fangadan, Gaz Wider, Justin Rude. We got to Pukekohe, we stood on the infield and um, they came flying down fully sideways, 180 kilometers an hour, you know, and Tony looked straight at me. I was like, you could do this. And I was like, fuck yeah. You know, so um, we sold everything we had. She had show cars because, yeah, you know, having such a supportive wife that's into motorsport and cars is, is amazing. So all these years, we'd always built custom cars for her for car shows. And um, we had my cars at the time. We were doing all the skid fests and rotary nationals. And it was just burnout comps because that's what we could afford. We couldn't afford the fast cars to do the drag racing, but burnouts, you could just go out there again with, have your own personality and style. So drifting was just that next level from going from having that personality and style being unique on a burnout pad to actually expressing it on a on a racetrack with yeah. speeds, like I said, 180 kilometers an hour. And you took the Mad Mike brand from from motocross and, and, and Krusty Demons and that side of things and transferred it to your, your, your drifting career, I take it. Well, yeah, it was never a brand like at that stage, and I was <laughs> never trying to turn it into a brand. It was just, it was just the name. And um, but I remember, like, you know, even the internet back then it was um, when I did the transition when we started building this drift car, and you know, a bit of smack talk around. Oh, he's built it because I was a rotary. You know, I've been rotary since I was thirteen years old, and built my first one because they were so cheap and easy and fast, loud, obnoxious, all the all the stuff that inspired me to build rotaries. Um, but we were the first rotary to come into drifting. And so, you know, there was a lot of smack talk around, oh, it's a rotary, it's going to blow up, and oh, it won't drift, it won't have enough power, or, oh, just because he can flip motocross bikes doesn't mean he can drift, and 
all this talk that I could say over the internet, I was like, wow, man, that just really fueled my fire to succeed in this like discipline and this sport. And um, yeah, we managed to um, get our license the first time out in the car. I crashed into the wall on the first lap um, on the third corner without even doing a proper warm up lap. But um, yeah, I guess that's where it all it all started. And then from this drifting was where it kind of the brand started from, you know, what I looked up to my inspiration, as I said before, Ricky Johnson and all that, and I see them at events and they had posters and stuff like that. So we were the first ones here with our own poster. You know, we're the first ones in New Zealand that built a website, madmike.co.nz. And people were like, what's this guy? He's got his own posters and website. You know, it only took a month. And then there's another driver that's, you know, kind of following by suit. and um, not just, I mean, I love to be a pioneer, but um, this is just, to be honest, it's just natural instinct for me to, you know, obviously seeing what my fans are doing and just putting myself or putting people that come to the event in what would have been my shoes if I ever got the chance to go to America and meet Ricky Johnson and Jeremy McGrath and Brian Deegan and all those guys. Yeah, it, it helped as well, uh, Mike, that you had a background in, in sign writing, right? And, and, and that, that side of things. So that, as you say, kind of came naturally that, you know, the, getting the look right, getting the design right, that was all something that came really naturally to you, I suppose. Yeah, I've got a very good vision of what stuff's going to look like. And having that um, that skill set in sign writing, being my trade out of school, and that came because my mum couldn't afford new motocross bikes. So when I was young, I'd go to all the sign writing shops, get all the offcuts of vinyl, all their pinks and purples and teals, and I'd hand cut make my own stickers and put them on my bikes and show up to racing. And people would think I'd have the latest, greatest bike, but it was actually three or four years old. Right. So the same as soon as I went drifting, we showed up to the first round. My my tow van matched my trailer. That matched the pit bike. That matched the car. We had this camo livery, um, and camo has just been something that's been like a signature of mine from you know the early days. Again, going back to my teens, not being able to afford flash paint job, we would go to you know Repco and buy fifty dollars worth of rattle cans and just hand camo our old Mazda RX threes and RX twos and. Um, so yeah, even to this day, all our liveries carry some kind of camouflage in them, which has um, been my signature. So, I think another thing that you've yeah. attributed to your success is just how hard you've worked, and you, you and your wife Tony. I, I remember chatting to you um, a few years ago, and you talked about how you know two o'clock in the morning, you and Tony were often, um, you'd be under the car with a with a, a spanner and a wrench, and, and Tony be on the computer sending out emails and 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 doing that side of things. How important has that partnership been, um, Mike? Uh, that is the most important part. The time is what builds it. You know, it's the time and having that relationship and for Tony to have the same passion as I do to, um, yeah, make a career out of it, you know. Yeah. And but it's also really hard to do it out of New Zealand just because of the time difference, you know. So all these Skypes and conferences and stuff we're having, we're, we're you know, logging on at 2 a.m. with a meeting somewhere. It might be in UK for some event or, you know, something that's going on some sponsorship deal or whatever it is the other thing was the other thing that really motivated myself and tony was um well especially myself was the year i went into drifting the year i got picked up by red bull was 2008 i started drifting 2007 i got picked up by red bull 2008 it was the same year um we had just uh had lincoln so my first and tony's first child um 
And yeah, again, the talk that came about like, oh, he's just had a kid. That's him. He's, he's stuck. You know, he won't be able to do motorsport. You know, just that, I don't know, that mental perception of if you've got a kid that's just a handbrake and now everything's about the kid. And man, we just took him along for the ride. We went to every, you know, he would come along to these, you know, big Red Bull deals and he's just, would come along to the meetings, would swing him around in his little capsule and, you know, hang him out, put him there <laughs> with some Hot Wheels or whatever and he would keep himself entertained and he's just been there for the whole trip and that motivated, for me, never meeting my father and then having having a son was just like the coolest thing ever and I just wanted, you know, the biggest dream of my life is to be the coolest father in life yeah. for my kids. So. Where was your father during all this, Mark? Um, yeah, I've never never met my father. So, um, yeah, just hasn't hasn't been in my life. So I've I feel like I, I am who I am because of my mum giving me that freedom. Um, all those years of you know being able to do knack knacks on the last lap of a motocross race and crashing and losing a few positions when I could have maybe won the New Zealand Championship or giving me the freedom to come home and you know put oil stains all over the driveway and um kill the grass of oil and because we didn't even have a garage we didn't have a carport even we had a grass lawn that was very small and um it didn't have a full toolkit or anything uh so yeah my mum is is the biggest part of my success and just giving me that freedom you know and that's one thing i've done and i've never been pushed into anything everything has been my own determination uh, my own motivation um to yeah drive and be to, to be able to accomplish whether it's building a radio control car or building a, a freaking lamborghini <laughs> that's right yeah. yeah you talked about sponsorship deals and meetings and bringing lincoln along do you remember what was the first kind of big sponsorship deal you signed that made you realize oh, you know, maybe i can make a career out of this what was what was the what was the turning point in terms of sponsorship um Man, sponsorship, I mean, I remember probably the coolest deal, like definitely not the biggest, but the coolest deal was my first ever sponsor, which was Fox Motocross, like Fox um, riding gear. Yeah. And so they gave me one free gear set a year. This is like early 90s. Um, so fluoro pink, fluoro purple, barbed wire, and uh, Sports Pro were the distributors for it. And um, they would give me one free gear kit and then a discount to my mum for anything else you know and I was probably 11 or 12 years old mm. and they, the coolest thing was was they let me reveal the gear set be the first one at, at, at one event before that would sell to the public so I always thought that was just the coolest thing I would rock up to motocross I'd have my new graphics pink and purple I'd have these barbed wire pants that no one had ever seen unless they had seen it on Sky TV with Ricky Johnson wearing it And yeah, I could just show it off. You know, I've always been a bit of a show off and I guess that's also part of, you know, succeeding with drifting. But um, yeah, so going from getting a free gear set in a, a, a year to, yeah, signing deals with some of the world's biggest brands, you know, Red Bull, Mazda, Lamborghini. Um, yeah, just freaking incredible on where it where it's and, gone and did what were your negotiation skills like did you have somebody in those meetings watching your back or did you did, did tony and you were, were you just winging it mate just honestly winging it like it was i'm like i was looking at you know other people getting sponsors and they got managers and agents and they're yeah. trying to sell this person 
you know, going to a brand saying, I've got this guy, he's this, he's just won this championship or he's blah, 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 I don't know. But I'm like, man, if, if I was going to invest in someone, I'd want to meet the person that I'm investing in. And so for me, I would just show up. There's no suit and tie. There's no big booklet of paperwork. And this is what, you know, it was just pretty much me, yeah. um, you know, have some pictures and, but uh, yeah, just my motivation and determination. Eh? And I th- I don't know if it's the personality or, so you never, I don't know, man. I just, yeah, again, self-taught, man. I just yeah. kind of just yeah, gone with it. And um, yeah. So you never did PowerPoint presentations or anything like that? <laughs> no, I I did. Yeah, no, I got through being a designer, you know, but it's like mm. I'd always, it's funny, you do like a proposal and like you make a big attractive proposal and you kind of drop it on the bench and, you know, CEO might look at it and kind of just like brush by and I was like, oh man, really had no interest mm. in just like sitting there and, you know, as again, it comes back to that whole time thing as well of yeah. who has the time to go and sit through, you know, 10 pages. I'd find our proposals end up being so different. It was just a simple, mm. you know, back in those days, it was before Instagram and Facebook. Um, so it was just a, you know, simple email. I, this is who I am. Would you be interested? Yeah. If you are, okay, then let's meet rather than, you know, trying to just the first email being this big bloody proposal that's 20 pages long with all these stats and, Sure. Yeah. I don't know. And it and it, it worked. It worked. And of course you couldn't do what you do without sponsorship because as you've said before, you can't, probably couldn't have picked a more expensive game or expensive playground to play in, right? Yeah. I um I know like being a you know, Grom growing up doing skateboarding and being a BMX, anything I could get my hands on, and then my career ended up being drifting, which is you know, sometimes you look at it, the running costs of mm. obviously running motorsport, um, the risk of running motorsport. Um, you know, I think, man, it'd be, be nice if I was a Red Bull skateboarder and I could just hop on a plane <laughs> with my skateboard and fly to USA and do the X Games and then, you know, fly home with my skateboard on my backpack instead of we've got to take a 40 foot container or fly a plane that's fully loaded with, you know, the car and all the parts and, you know, fly a huge team all around the world. So, um, but it's, oh, mate, it's so rewarding, honestly, to do it from New Zealand. Um, you touched on the time, you know, and that we put into it. And that's true, man. We're still, you won't find us in bed before midnight, whether it's on a phone call, working on an email, thinking of something. Um, you know, we did 10 years of Lincoln's life from when he was born to 10 living in a factory in East Tamaki with a little apartment on the top. Because I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning, have some car idea with some, you know, it might be, I don't know, body kit or something. And then I'd just be able to run downstairs and just start cutting up my car and changing things. And then wake up in the morning and be like, oh, babe, what do you think of this? You'd be like, oh, yeah, it looks really cool. But those fenders are probably going to be really hard to maintain because they're just going to fly off. And, mm-hmm. you know, but having that, um, the lifestyle of the factory, you know, so people are like, oh man, it's so cool. Your son gets to live in a factory with all these race cars and go-karts. And I'm like, yeah, but he doesn't have a fence to jump to it, play with any neighbors. He doesn't have, uh, you know, a pool. He doesn't have a trampoline. He doesn't even have any grass around to kick a ball, you know? So those, those 10 years, I mean, there's been so much work and so much like sacrifice to a normal life to be able to, build this life and sure. now you know we've been able to now build our dream home out here you know i've got an amazing partnership with tony quinn and hampton downs um and this is home i got my house on one side of the racetrack we overlook it 
we've got pit bike tracks and we've got the off-road tracks and we've got you know for links upbringing now very different than mine obviously mm. um but then yeah we've got the new shop the mad lab which we open um for the public to view so yeah it's uh, a lot of a lot of work and yeah the whole it's been an incredible journey i wanted to go back again to that idea i suppose of building this business and building this brand i mean you know the, the idea i think as you said of building a professional career out of drifting from new zealand would have seemed like crazy before you started out in this journey when was there a tipping point when you thought this is actually going to work? Um, was social media kind of a key part of, of that that kind of that journey? Yeah, social social media is definitely a huge part. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as Facebook was, you know, came out, um, you know, there then Instagram and just being able to have that fan engagement, you know, mm-hmm. being able to do a post and um, and having a hundred percent control of it, you know, that's the same. We were, we were talking before about you know having managers and agents and mm. people that run run uh, the meetings for you or run your social media for you. I, I believe like our growth in the social media platform is because we hundred percent do it ourselves. It's me talking on there, it's me posting the pictures mm. for sure. Tony's on there; she'll make sure the posts go up that are contractual giveaways and prizes and stuff. She'll make sure all those are in line. But, mate, if people are talking to me and that's where that fan engagement grows. You know, there'll be someone, I'll post something up and then someone will ask a question, oh, what motor was in this? And then, you know, you'll have some other guy come in and be like, oh, man, Mike ain't going to answer your question, mate. And you'll answer the question and then you've got another 10 comments like, oh, wow, it's actually Mad Mike here talking. And then it just grows, man. And having that engagement, and I love it. It's just, for me, it's just natural. I just... I love to engage with my fans and cool. hopefully inspire other youngsters or young and older, any any generation, um, to be able to chase dreams and yeah, do what you love. Um, were there any other kind of people in the motorsport space that you looked up to in terms of building a business? Like, I mean, there's been guys like I suppose Travis Pastrana and Ken Block, guys like that who have yep. you know translated their their incredible skill in the motorsport into these massive brands. Was that an inspiration or, or were they? Yeah. People you looked up to? Yeah, so there's Brian Deegan. So Brian Deegan obviously coming in uh into the freestyle motocross movement. Uh much similar. Well, I could I could kind of base my upbringing very similar to his, um, mm. and being a bit more grassroots uh on a much lower budget. Um but yeah, just yeah, and then him building Metal Militia, and that was a brand that you know I looked up to. And then Brian Deegan actually supported us through a few years of us competing in formula drift uh in usa i got to meet brian deegan he was like the coolest dude and just you know to have and then have him wanting to support our program or, you know go out to his place in temecula and um yeah it's incredible so those sort of guys what they have built from their name and their passion and their sport um was definitely inspiring ken block again another good friend of mine um founder of dc um and built a massive career out of well one made the brand very successful uh and then now as sport as the sport kind of does the whole lot so yeah fantastic is there a misconception do you think that i mean amongst the general public of just how business-minded and switched on you have to be to make a career out of what you do. I mean, people see drifting and they see the smoke and they see the speed and they maybe think, you know, maybe associated with boy racing or some of that, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Because you guys just have to be so switched on and so business savvy to make this work, right? Yeah, well, as a driver, for sure. There's, um, 
you know, the perception, as you say, is a bunch of boy races. I mean, it only takes one news presenter. That's the thing with New Zealand, and uh, is it's still perceived as a bit of a boy racing sport, you know, mm. guys drifting sideways, and because we've got smoke coming off the tyres, but like it's, it's only takes one news presenter for some kid that's doing some donuts around a roundabout, wipe out some pedestrian and, you know, put them in hospital or kill them to then mm. be and a news presenter say you know kid drifting around roundabouts like that's not drifting drifting we drift over 200 kilometers an hour on you know putting ourselves this close to you know millimeters on on nascar bank walls or you know our film shoots with red bull we do got cliff drops and Mm. you know the precision and the skill set of the drivers is incredible but then the brands obviously that represent i think the best thing for drifting in new zealand was not just for me, but for drifting in general, was when Red Bull got involved. And then, because everyone knows Red Bull sponsor the elites. They sponsor, you know, the events. And when Red Bull is behind something, they know it's the pinnacle or this person is the pinnacle. So fortunate for me, it was me to be able to wear that dream helmet that I always wanted. But at the same token, I was thinking, man, this is so cool, the credibility for our sport now. So this started in New Zealand and then, you know, we get an invite to go to Australia, V8 supercars and do a demonstration there. And then all of a sudden it's like Red Bull, Mad Mike does this, you know, we're drifting faster than half the race cars around these corners with my arm out the window, waving at the kids on the fence. And then, you know, we're at Goodwood Festival of Speed and we're the first one to drift, you know, Yas Marina and Abu Dhabi and we're in Thailand and Singapore and just all of a sudden representing, it's not just representing Mad Mike and my team and my partners but we're we're the credibility for drifting is just growing and then to yeah goodwood festival of speed yeah so that helps with being able to build this into a business and and getting these credible brands that obviously have um the financial support to make it a career and a business and to make it viable and and part of what you're doing out at hampton downs and and the mad lab kind of shop and workshop and the drift events you're running is to again raise i suppose the profile of drifting and raise the credibility correct yeah raise the profile and also just you know help others be able to you know chase my footsteps if you know someone else wants to make the career and and drifting um then yeah whether you want to just come out here to our mad mike drift force days and just you know, enjoy it as a social environment with your mates or whether you do want to pursue it and try to take it as a career. And I've proven you can make a living out of it, a healthy living out of it and doing it right here from New Zealand. Yeah. I want to get back again to the social media side of things. So I think what, over 2 million followers, around about 2 million followers on Facebook. Was there a, was there any milestones along the way where you had to pinch yourself? Like, I mean, was, was cracking the, the million mark on, on, on Facebook one of those moments where you went, holy, holy moly, we're, we're, we're doing this? I, I remember cracking 10,000 and I thought <laughs> that was freaking wild. You know, I'm like, there's actually 10,000 people that want to follow me, you know, yeah. what I'm doing. And then um, it's just growing, I guess, because as life goes on, you know, I've got kids, so I'm not just inspiring people as a or you know people not just engaging um people as a athlete driving a car sideways you know inspiring other fathers that you can still do all this kind of stuff being a father you just take your kids with you and all the other stuff that we do whether it's off-road racing or you know bmx and doing flips or motocross or and i mean i live life full throttle man there's not a minute of the day i'm not thinking or racing or you know i've got two very competitive kids 
um, that everything's a competition. So that keeps us pretty active and fit and busy. Um, but yeah, there's not a minute that goes by that I'm not full throttle. What's what's the biggest crisis you've faced in your life so far, Mike, would you say? Yeah, man, I don't know. Most people would say 2020 would be, you know, but like I said, I just took it as an opportunity. Yeah, of course, the financial support, it, you know, a lot of my financial income comes from appearance fees, from doing these events all around the world. Um, and I'll be straight up, you know, like I make a healthy salary, but a big part of our our income every year is the appearance fees from all these events. To have 31 international events now not been on the calendar, it is a huge whack out of the income. Um, but for me, I just, like I said, I just took it as motivation and time and an opportunity, an opportunity to just bond with my kids. And I managed to be able to, you know, buy a car with my son when he was 11 as his 12th birthday, got a little MX-5 and then lockdown happened and we, yeah, built a drift car together. So I showed him all the ins and outs and, you know, so from doing that to showing people how to make paper planes on social media, you know, whether you've got, you know, a huge budget or whether you've got no budget, mm. trying to just inspire people to think outside the box. So, yeah, I'd say 2020 was definitely the most challenging of the lot. You know, we've had, you know, crashes and stuff that all that stuff happens in motorsport, put themselves in hospital and um, like, yeah, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of setbacks, but um, yeah, just keep charging man that's sort of make it worth it cool what are your ambitions where do you where do you have you got a three-year plan or a five-year plan about where you want to take take the business will you will you still be competing? Um, always working five yeah five-year blocks work yeah. on five years but all our partnerships always like look what's the next five years but in five years this is where we want to be um and you know just i guess for me if i can inspire others you know to my story that you know a lot of people look at my program just people that don't know my story think that you know oh, daddy's boy dad's bought him all the stuff wealthy family you know it's got all the cars and blah 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 but yeah that's as you guys have just heard it's quite different if you've got the motivation and determination it's far more powerful than money in motorsport that's a great way to finish mike listen thank you so much for your time really really appreciate it and uh, and great to chat with you epic Red, thank you, Rob. Thanks, fella. Listen, go well. All the best. Thank you, bro. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. And if you've got time, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you use. Finally, if you want to learn more about how to tell your own origin story, visit my website, storybud.co. That's S-T-O-R-Y-B-U-D.co, storybud.co. Thanks again and see you next time.